time for Dishing Up Nutrition with licensed nutritionist Darlene Kavist. Each week, Darlene explains the connection between what you eat and how you feel. Stay tuned to hear practical, real-life solutions for healthier living through good nutrition. Dishing Up Nutrition is brought to you by Nutritional Weight and Wellness. Slow down, you move too fast. You got to make the morning last. Well, welcome to Dishing Up Nutrition. I'm Darlene Kavist, Certified Nutrition Specialist and Licensed Nutritionist and host of Dishing Up Nutrition. This show is brought to you by Nutritional Weight and Wellness, a company providing life-changing nutrition education and life-changing nutrition counseling. You will be, I I know you're going to want to stay tuned today because we have a very well-known author. She's a nutrition professor and she's a highly respected health educator. She's an amazing woman. And she's going to be joining us in a few minutes. And to help me remember all these <laughs> questions that we have for her, to, our guest today, I've asked Marcy Vasky, one of our nutritionists on staff at Nutritional Weight and Wellness, to be part of our conversation. Marcy sees clients personally in our Eden Prairie office and our Wyzetta office. She also consults clients by phone or by Skype. Plus, she teaches almost daily (laughs) at local businesses and social organizations. Lots of fun. She's really quite a busy lady. She also has nine-year-old twins. Yes, I do. Who, of course, think that they're about 15 by now. Oh, for sure they're 15. I mean, (laughs) come on. Um, You know, I often think a lot it's easier to teach 200 adults in all these classes than it is to teach my nine-year-olds not to drink soda pop Uh and go to fast food places and um you know someday i know my kids will love what i do but Mm -hmm. it is not today or right now so (laughs) maybe when they're really 15 they'll like it they say oh mom oh not really (laughs) yes no please don't do this to me um so today we want to um uh, share with you our guest she is here to share some great information about the harmful effects and, frankly, startling information about the marketing of soda. Then I know you'll be able to say, I don't drink soda, my kids don't drink soda, and my grandchildren are not even allowed to drink soda. Oh, that's going to be a big movement. I yes. know. So let's welcome Dr. Marian Nessel, author of Soda Politics, Taking on Big Soda and Winning. Dr. Nessel has been a big fan. You know, you've been a big fan of mine and a big fan of Nutritional Weight and Wellness for several years. So I'm really pleased to have you join us by phone bond, Dishing Up Nutrition. You know, we say this all the time in our classes. We do. You know, because you refer to soda as liquid candy. And I love that. And, you know, I think people wouldn't, they wouldn't go and eat 10 teaspoons of sugar but they'll drink a 12-ounce can of soda with 10 teaspoons of sugar without giving it a second thought. Isn't that amazing, Marcy? It really is amazing. They just have no idea how much sugar they're putting into their body. Dr. Nessel, thanks again for joining us via phone on Dishing Up Nutrition. We really have a lot of questions for you today, so I hope you're ready. I'm ready. All right. Glad to be here. Well, good. You know, you wrote the book, Soda Politics, Taking on Big Soda and Winning. So first things first, um, can you tell us what exactly is in soda? Uh, Sugar. 
Um, (laughs) Yes. No, sugars. I mean, it has sugars, waters, and some flavoring agents. Um, And the sugars mostly come from high fructose corn syrup, but could be sucrose, table sugar. Um, Doesn't make any difference. It's a lot of sugar. Well, so when you're thinking about a 10-ounce or a 12-ounce can of soda, how many teaspoons of sugar? Ten. Ten teaspoons of sugar. And then the other ingredient is basically? Water. 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 And yeah, the other the other ingredients don't really matter that much, but they um, they they are. It's a balanced formula that's designed to mask the what would otherwise be cloying sweetness. I mean, if you were going to drink a, a glass of water with ten teaspoons of sugar in it, it would be like taking a glucose tolerance test mm-hmm. or or one of those things. I mean, it's really hard to get something that sweet down. But the flavoring agents and the acidity balance it in such a way that you don't notice the sugar. And most people are shocked when they realize how much there is. You know, I think one of the you know one of the things that you talked about in in your book is. Um, to have parents sit down with their kids. Yes. I bet, Marcy, I don't know if you've done this with your kids. I haven't, but it's a great idea. Is to actually spoon in 10 teaspoons of sugar in a glass of water and have them drink it. Yuck. (laughs) Yeah, yuck for sure. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things I wrote the book for was as an advocacy manual because... Uh, the sodas are a really easy target for public health advocacy, sugars and water and nothing else. That's easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a chapter in the book about how to teach your kids to become soda advocates or anti-soda advocates. Um, and I hope it'll be useful to parents who are trying to deal with it because once kids catch on to how to read food labels and to count up the sugars, they become advocates for healthier eating. I think that's true, and I know we've had a few of those uh, young people in our classes, actually, and once they're on it, they are really... uh, Pay attention. Yes, they do. Yeah, I even have my kids, they look at the back of the ingredients. Yes. So it's really interesting how early that starts, (laughs) and I'm glad. That's right. So, um, Marion, let me see. Let me... uh, You know, I know that you said there's some other ingredients in in a Coke or a Pepsi, uh, besides just the sugar and the water. You know, there's some coloring, for Mm -hmm. sure. There's phosphates um, and components in there to acidify the water. Uh, You know, there are famous stories where you can put teeth in Coca-Cola and it will dissolve. They'll dissolve eventually, as they would in any acidic solution. Um, but I, I again, that, it balances the sweetness. That's what. That's why it's there. Okay. Right. So what? I, well, you know, I understand that if you want to clean off your engine in your car, you pour coke over it or something. Well, you hear thing. all it's those a, things, <laughs> right? You no, know, it's any mild acid like that. Yes. Yeah. So one of the other things that you talked about the caramel coloring, uh, and and that not being really healthy for people. Well, it's there in such a small amount. I tend not to worry about those things. The sugar is so much more uh, present, and it's it, it's so much more important an ingredient that I think it's uh, it's sufficient, and you worry about that more than any of the others. Right, right. Okay. okay. What about all the caffeine? How much caffeine is in that? 
Oh, very, very little. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, something like 35 milligrams in a 12-ounce thing. I, I don't remember, but it's a very, very small amount. Um, again, not something that you would worry about unless kids are drinking a lot of it. A lot. And I, it, it's, re, it, it's reduced a lot in, in, over the years, though. Well, it was, it's been reduced for a very long time. There was a lot of regulatory fuss about mm. it in the early years of the 20th century. So it's been low for a long time. It's much lower than a, a cup of coffee, for example. So then I think, I think, Marion, we have to take a kind of a quick break here, but I think one of the things when we come back, maybe we'll talk about because it's interesting. It's really very difficult for a lot of people to give up their Coke or their Pepsi. Mm-hmm. So maybe we can talk about some of the addictive uh, ingredients or why are people so addicted to Pepsi and Coke And when we come back from break. Does that sound good? good. Okay. okay. All right. Well, you're listening to Dishing Up Nutrition, and thank you for joining us today. We're having a really important discussion about how the soda industry has marketed to children and adults to increase sales. Dr. Marion Nessel, author of Soda Politics, shares that a 12-ounce can of soda contains 10 cubes of sugar. A 20-ounce soda has over 16 cubes of sugar. Well, that could be sugar packets. Or sugar packets, that's right. And a liter, a liter of soda contains 30 cubes of sugar. So for many people, drinking soda creates lots of digestive issues, things like heartburn or reflux. And, you know, I really understand digestive problems. So I would and I'm going to be teaching a class in Wyzetta on November 29th from 6 to 8. It's called Gut Reaction, Resolve Digestive Health Through Nutrition. I bet there's no soda in that one. uh, Pretty much. There is no (laughs) soda. You're right, Dar. So call 651-699-3438 to sign up. And we'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Dishing Up Nutrition. Marcy and I are here with Dr. Marian Nessel, author of Soda Politics, Taking on Big Soda and Winning. You know, I like this statement on the inside of the book jacket. Sodas are astonishing products. Little more than flavored sugar water. The drink costs practically nothing to produce or buy, yet have turned their makers, principally Coca-Cola and PepsiCo, into multi-billion dollar corporations. Interesting. Very interesting. I bet you have a lot to say on that one, Marion. Oh, I do. I mean, these are astonishing corporations, uh, worldwide, multinational. You can find Coke and Pepsi products everywhere in the world, um, sometimes in places, remote places where there are no other foods available. You can find Pepsi products. I've seen them in India. Uh, I was once... Um, in an area of India that tourists don't generally go to. Mm-hmm. It's a long story that we don't have to hear now. Um, but I was amazed. You couldn't get any food. There were no restaurants and there were no food stores around. Um, but there were little kiosks sending, selling Pepsi products. Well, it's interesting. I have a story similar to that because one of my clients went to an area in Africa where she was doing some volunteer work. And the things that they were, they had Coke and to drink. They had nothing else to eat, but they were, that's drinking what they, they were drinking Coke. And that sugar water kept them, I suppose it kept them alive, but it also, they were very obese. And, uh, 
you know, they had a high rate of diabetes because that's all they were taking in. So, yes. Wow. Wow. Interesting. Well, yeah. often in places where there's not, where there isn't clean water. Yes. Um, then, the, then Coke and Pepsi are something that people can drink, and at least it's safe. Um, so that's you know that's a political problem. Yes. All right. I don't know. We 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 did have a caller, Marion. I think. Marcy, should we take the yeah. caller and see? Yeah, well, let's take the caller and okay. see what... Um, hi, Pat. Good Hello. morning. Welcome to Dishing Up Nutrition. What's your question? Well, I wanted to comment on the switch that Pepsi recently did with Sierra Mist. Now they are sneaking in with a Mist something of a diff- slightly different name where they left out the... Um, the real sugar, and replaced it with high fructose corn syrup again, which is even worse than regular sugar. Right. <laughs> right yeah, on. Even worse. And uh, there's another thing about that new stuff. Um, I'm wondering if they've sneaked in phosphoric acid, because I noticed that, see, brown color used to be an indicator of phosphoric acid and stuff. So I never drank. If I drank a little pop, I never drank Mountain Dew because they had sneaked phosphoric acid into the Mountain Dew. And Good reason not takes, to drink that stuff. Yeah, just that one of them. The, that takes the calcium right off your bones, right out of your bones. It doesn't just steal it before it can turn into bone. So I mean that that phosphoric acid makes the pop much much worse. Oh, and I know I I haven't I suspect that there's no longer stevia in that Pepsi product that used to be, there used to be a little stevia in the... Um so, so, Pat, Pat, let, let's, 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 let's have Marion just uh, comment on some of the things that you're talking about. Marion, uh, you know, honestly, yeah, because we never drink anything, these... I don't know anything about this product at all. <laughs> okay, um, us but too. there's a, um, you know, there are rules about about labeling and everything that's in it is supposed to be in the ingredient list on the label Mm -hmm. in order of the amount that is in the product. Um, And these are big companies. They're very, very unlikely to have components in their products that are not on the label. But a lot of us did not notice that Pepsi had switched that oh, that the okay. Sierra Mist has disappeared. Sure. You know, the bottom line is, it's like, you, you know, one of the things... Read the that, label. Yeah, read the yeah. But also, the bottom line is what we teach people in our classes is, don't drink soda. Well, that's a, you know, that's let's just start there. Deal with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah I don't mean, drink your sugar. But hello, yeah. good idea. But hello. Uh, hello. So, yeah. so, if you're going to drink soda, see, I try, I try if I'm going to drink a little pop, I try to be have water on there and coffee. Want something where I'm not just drinking pop only. Yeah. I'm going to break Pat, down. Pat, I don't bring it home from the store. But if I'm out somewhere and I happen to drink a little pop, Pat, I try to have really coffee or water and drink mostly something besides the pop or with the pop, the little pop that I allow myself. Okay. Right. So you know what, Pat, we have to move on. So thank you for the call. Appreciate it. And uh, it's a good discussion. So we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. So, uh, you know, I want to, Marcy, I want to explore a little bit more about the multi-million dollar companies and how they 
they've been able to make so much money off of a product or two. Right. You know, and a lot of our nutrition for weight loss classes that we teach, we have clients, you know, they're not even drinking soda anymore. So who's keeping up this soda habit? And, and um, lots of people are drinking it. I mean, sales are way down in the United States because the public health message is out. Perfect. Um, but there are still people who are drinking it and drink a lot of it. Um, and I was interested when I was doing the research for this book, uh, to realize that about half of the people in the United States don't drink sodas at all. Okay, no good. Beverages. That means that they're all consumed by the other half. Right. And you can do demographic studies, and the industry does that. And the people who drink a lot of soda tend to be... Um, not to have as much education, not to have as much money, uh, to be blue-collar rather than white-collar, um, to live in rural areas rather than in cities. I mean, it's a, a whole demographic area. Um, but, that, but lots of people are still, you know, that's a huge portion of our country. Right. Yes. Half right. the popular, half of the adult population. Um, but the word is slowly getting out, even to people who have been longtime consumers, uh, especially for people who want to lose weight. It's the first thing you do if you want to lose weight is you stop drinking sugary drinks. Because they add calories that you don't need. Oh, for sure. I mean, we have clients losing 30 or 40 pounds by just taking out their soda. Yeah, I hear that all the time. Yeah. So, you know, let's talk a little bit. I think we've got a few minutes before we have to go to on break. You know, let's talk a little bit because, you know, we see this all the time with clients and in people in our classes, Marion, that they say they want to stop and they, they honestly know intellectually that... That Coke is bad for them. And, you know, they know that. And they know that they can't lose weight if they keep drinking their Pepsi or their Coke or their whatever, Mountain Dew or whatever it is. Whatever the vice. But they can't stop. So what are some of the addictive factors about this? Well, because I'll go back to the sugar again. Okay. Right. Um, you know, it's um, a, a lot of people feel that they're addicted to sugar. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that this is addiction in exactly the same way that people are addicted to cigarettes or cocaine or heroin. Um, but it's certainly, sugar certainly stimulates the same parts of the brain, but we need sugar. Um, our brain depends on having a certain amount of sugar every day, um, and we don't function without it. Uh, so it's different. But there are people who feel that they're addicted to it, and you have to take those feelings very, very seriously. And so if somebody feels that they're addicted to sodas, then you have to deal with them in the same way that you deal with any other addiction. Um, And you get them into 12-step programs or you do whatever it takes to try to get them to break the habit and figure out what's causing the habit, what triggers it, um, and what they can do to stop. And they have to go cold turkey at some point. They definitely have to go cold turkey, Um, totally. And that's very difficult, but it's doable. Mm Um, and certainly it's doable with a lot of support. You know, one of the things that we do when we have someone that has an addiction to a soda is that we set up an eating plan that they're eating every two to three hours because a lot of times that cravings for soda is really a sugar craving, and it's because their blood sugar is down, 
And of course, they have no control and their blood sugar is down because there's no glucose in their brain. Right. Just kind of like what you said, Mary. We do need some sugar, but, you know, we're trying to get people to eat the sugar coming from maybe some fruit or some vegetables, you know, the right kind of supply of sugar Mm -hmm. rather than this 10 teaspoons. Yeah. The high fructose corn syrup. Right. Yeah. You know, and I, you know, I think we help people a lot getting off of, of, any kind of soda, whether it's diet or whether it's sugar soda, mm-hmm. both both uh, seems to be for some people they have that addiction for it. For so, sure. <clears throat> so I think you know when maybe when we come back, Marion, from our next break is talk about the profitability in soda, why these companies have made so much money. Sounds good. Yes, we certainly can. Okay. All right. right. Great. Uh, You are listening to Dishing Up Nutrition, and we're discussing soda politics with our author, Dr. Marian Nessel. And as a nutritionist, I like the following statement that describes what we're really up against. When we're discouraging people in our classes and even our children to not drink soda, here's a very revealing statement. Build as refreshing, tasty, crisp, and the real thing, Sodas also happen to be so well-established to contribute to poor dental hygiene, higher caloric intake, obesity, and type 2 diabetes, that the first line of defense is to simply stop drinking them. And that's what we just said. Yes, we we have. Just stop. And we'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Dishing Up Nutrition. You know, on Saturday, November 19th, I will be teaching the Menopause Survival Seminar with Chris Knievel and Joanne Rideout. As many of you know, a major health concern for women in menopause is osteoporosis, or weak and fragile bones. You may realize, maybe, possibly you realize, that drinking soda increases your risk for having thin, fragile bones that could lead to bone fractures and even broken bones. For overall health and well-being, everyone should switch from drinking soda to drinking water. They say it over and over Over and over. over. (laughs) It becomes a broken record for sure. So, Dr. Nessel, we're going to just get back to talking. Can you talk to us a little bit about how these industries are making so much money? Who are they marketing to? Um, Can you talk a little bit about that? What's the cost of uh, uh, making a soda? Yeah, making a soda. I I think people would be shocked. Well, it depends. The easiest way to do this is in the sodas that are sold at movie theaters or fountain drinks, Mm -hmm. um, because there the figures are very clear. It costs two cents an ounce to make a soda, um, and that includes the syrup and the um, carbonated water and even it, it even includes the labor costs and all of the other things that are associated with it. So if you go to a movie theater and you buy a, a 32-ounce soda, which lots of people do. Yes, they do. Um, that isn't really going to have 32 ounces in it because a lot of it is going to be ice. Right. right. <clears throat> so you figure that a third of that, maybe 10 or 12 ounces of the actual stuff, that means it's going to cost the manuf- the it's going to cost the people at the movie theater twenty four cents to make that drink, and you're paying five dollars for it. Right. Wow, that's amazing. 
Um, so they are incredibly power. They're incredibly profitable, just incredibly. The ones that come in cans and bottles are less profitable because you have to pay for the can and the yes, bottle. Yes, yes. Um, but the fountain drinks are a miracle of profitability, and that's why movie theaters love them, and that's why they, you know, that's what supports movie theaters these days. Right, oh, that's for sure. Well, another thing that I see is so many people walking out of, you know, if you gas up your car at these convenient gas stations, they gas up their car, and then they come out all, I think they're gassed up themselves. Right, with some soda. They have a liter of soda. You know, and and didn't we say that's thirty teaspoons of sugar? Yeah, and that liter is in a kind of a plastic bottle that probably it sells for very something very cheap. Oh yeah, I mean you can get them for a dollar sometimes or two, and they uh, it's very very cheap. And I mean that's part of the reason why they make so much money is because they do it in volume. So if you can sell a lot of an extremely inexpensive product, uh, the company can make a lot of profit on it. Yes. So, you know, so we've got a product that is kind of inexpensive to buy. Uh, It's really inexpensive to make. And then, but then the health consequences. So I think maybe we should dive into that a little bit and talk about, you know, some of the, some of the things that, that you shared in your book about all the health problems that, that drinking this soda has created for people. Well, if you're taking in a lot of sugars and nothing else, um, then your body has to deal with those sugars. And that requires um, changes in hormone status. It requires changes in metabolism. If you're taking in excess calories, then the sugar calories are going to get um, converted into fat. um, And it's going to be very, very hard to lose that. The, it's just not something you don't notice. The, one of the things about liquid calories is the body doesn't doesn't seem to compute them in the same way that it computes sugars that are in solid foods. I mean, there's even one study that shows that if you eat jelly beans, you feel more full than if you, than you do if you drink soda. I mean, okay. there's something about drinking sugar that people just don't notice the calories and don't com- and don't compensate for those calories by eating less. So, Marion, what you just said before, and I think this is a, a good thing to bring home to people, is those liquid calories or li- liquid sugar calories actually turn into body fat faster is it right am i saying that right and also it's harder to lose that body fat then well it's always hard to lose body fat <laughs> well, well yeah but, so, i mean that that's just one of the unfortunate things about the way metabolism works is that once you're overweight it's really really hard to get rid of it because not eating is not fun no no it is not. not and it 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 does take uh, a you know people have to adhere to a fairly strict plan, a very strict plan for some of the people that we see, at least, that have a very slow metabolism. They do. I mean, do. it's just the way it is. And, uh, and Yeah, and then you have to deal with it. And also when you get older, uh, metabolism slows even further. And I, I think <clears throat> for, for me, it's the, uh, you know, it's the real dirty trick of getting older. It's I can't eat the way I used to. I, I think right, that's, that's sort of the reality. That's yeah. true. That's very true. 
So what are some of the other, you know, I mean, we've seen lots of studies on higher rate of type 2 diabetes, and it's coming from someplace. It just isn't a genetic factor, although a lot of people believe that it's a genetic factor. Well, genetics is certainly involved. Genetics is involved in, in everything. everything. But, yes. um, but if you look at um, type 2 diabetes, the single most important risk factor for it is being overweight. So anything that makes you overweight is going to raise your risk for type 2 diabetes. And if your overweight is coming from eating a lot of sugar, it's going to happen faster. Um, and most of the studies are correlated, are correlation studies. So what you can show is that people who drink a lot of sugary beverages are much more likely to be overweight, to have type 2 diabetes, to be at risk for heart disease, and have all of the other risk factors for uh, people who have metabolic problems that come from not balancing their caloric intake with um, physical activity. You know, one of the things that we often see in our clients, or at least when they come in to see us, they have higher cholesterol numbers. You know, their LDL cholesterol is higher, their HDL is lower, they've got higher triglycerides, and of course, they are the the medical professionals want them to be on a statin drug, and they don't want to be, so it's trying to change that. But I think they they have the conception that if they eat butter, they're going to it's going to raise their cholesterol, and they they have no knowledge that if they drink that soda, that that's really what's going to raise their cholesterol. Can you comment about some of this same? Well, again, I happen to be somebody who believes in calories. I know so, you do. <laughs> so I think that, you know, if, you're, if you are overeating calories from any source, um, that's going to raise your blood cholesterol level. If you overeat fat calories, if you overeat sugar calories, if you overeat any kind of calories, and the way you, and because nobody can tell how many calories are in food, it's really not possible to do that. The only way that you can tell whether you're eating a reasonable number of calories is by weighing yourself on a scale. And people who manage their weight best um, or people who have lost weight and managed to keep it off, that's one of the habits that they do. They weigh themselves regularly. And if they're, they find that their weight is going up, they try to compensate and bring it back down to wherever they're trying to get it to. Um, once weight is, you know, once you've put on 10, 20, 30 pounds, it's really, really hard to get it off. And that requires tremendous willpower. And it's not fun. <laughs> it's, well, it, it is hard, but it, but it can be done. It yes, can, it can be, be done. done. Yes. It takes a lot of support from a great nutritionist, we think. <laughs> That's right. It does. So, sure it does. So we're going to have to take another break, Marion, but I, I really want to dig into a little bit more about how the soda companies have funded the health agencies for the last, say, 10 or 10 minutes that we have of the show. Um, so put your brain around that one. I know you've got that right there. So Okay. So you are listening to Dishing Up Nutrition, and we're so delighted to have Dr. Marion Nessel join us today to discuss her new book called Soda Politics. Dr. Marion Nessel is such a well-known author and professor of nutrition. She has authored several well-recognized well and life-changing books, 
and she is also a professor in the Department of Nutrition, Food Studies, and Public Health at New York University. Mostly, though, she is passionate about providing life-changing nutrition information to all of us. There are some things we wish for you to do what everyone else can do. Hop in your car, go to work, slip right into a movie seat. Now there's a perk. Buy cute jeans right off the rack. Dance at the next wedding to love shack. Play tag with your kids and hear them say, that was the most awesomest day. Walk your dog, jog, or both just because you can. Comfortably fly coach all the way to Japan. Be there on graduation day, especially if it's yours and you got your MBA. Meet your greatest love and ride off into the sun. This is your life. Go live it. You've only got one. If you think you've tried everything to lose the weight that's keeping you from your best life, think again. Learn the new science of weight loss in the Nutrition for Weight Loss program at Nutritional Weight and Wellness, on-site or online. You can do this. We'll help you. You're not alone. This is a promise, not just a poem. Join us at weightandwellness.com. Well, welcome back to Dishing Up Nutrition. You know, we are so pleased to have had Dr. Marian Nessel share her insights about the soda industry today. It's a show that should be shared around the world to help prevent obesity, heart disease, and diabetes. If each listener just forwards this show to one friend or family member, you could make a profound impact on their life or their children's lives. It all starts with knowing. In our Nutrition for Weight Loss class, we have a saying that said, knowing is not enough, willing is not enough, you must do. Very good. Doing is simply replacing soda with water. I said it again. I challenge each of you to make that change this week. That's a great challenge. Mm-hmm. I think some of I think some of our listeners will do it. I I, I believe it. Yes. Yeah, for sure. So we wanted to come back and talk about um, funding uh, that these big corporations are doing, and you know, a lot of what we've talked about on dishing up nutrition and in our classes. We always talk about whether you can believe a study or not. People are always saying, oh, I saw this study. You know, but doesn't it depend on maybe the source of the funding of the study? Well, that certainly has a lot to do with it. And the soda industry has been particularly diligent in funding studies, either uh, by Coca-Cola or by the American Beverage Association, which is the trade association for soda companies. Um, and they've been funding a lot of research, which by the most extraordinary coincidence comes out showing that sodas have nothing to do with health, um, that they are benign, that you can drink sodas and be perfectly healthy, and that any evidence to the contrary is so flawed that you don't need to pay any attention to it. Yes, I know. And then they also... Marion, there's a lot of other studies that show these are done by, you know, colleges and reputable companies that they're finding that the studies, I mean, I know you quoted something that says that, you know, people who drink, you know, a soda a day or 600 calories in soda, I think. Um, can you, do you know, can you refresh that? I uh, mean, I'm not sure what you're referring to. Okay. I'm sorry. Okay. You know, it was something like, uh, 600 calories a day extra from drinking soda uh, had a higher rate of diabetes or something Good like that? Heavens, that sounds like a lot. Yes. Right. I, w- I would think it would be much less than that. Um, people who drink just one can a day 
have a higher risk of diabetes, of type 2 diabetes. Okay. Right. So, I mean, it's really not that much. It's people who, are, who drink sodas don't have as healthy diets uh, in general. And they're not eating as healthfully as they should be. And their risk for chronic disease is much higher. Right. So we also know that in, in your book you talk about how the soda industry has managed to fund different health agencies. And I know a few years ago I was shocked when I found out that the American Dietetic Association, which is now called something else, but which I can't think of right off the top of and my head. And the, the Academy for Nutrition and Dietetics. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they funded, they were getting funds from Coca-Cola and Pepsi-Cola. They were. They A did. lot of funds. Yeah, they did for a long time. And so can you talk a little bit about that? Because it, to me, that was, just, that was just shocking. How could a health company, health agency be getting funded from something well, that's actually, going to... It's actually a trade association, but, that's, but the same question exists. And what happened was that the New York Times had an article about a year and a half ago about how Coca-Cola funded a group at the University of Colorado called the Global Energy Balance Network. And this was a group that was telling everybody that it didn't matter what you ate or drank. What really mattered for over, for your body weight was physical activity, oh, as, yes. if, as if what you ate didn't, ma- didn't matter at all. Um, and the, this was so shocking to people. It was on the front page of the New York Times. It caused an enormous furor, and Coca-Cola was very embarrassed by it and said, this isn't our company, this isn't the kind of company that we are, we're going to go completely transparent and publish a list of everybody that we fund. And they've been doing that for the last year, um, and it's an amazing list. I mean, there were more than 1,200 organizations in the United States that got money from Coca-Cola, and they were law- and also individuals. Mm-hmm. And more than half of the individuals who received payment payments from Coca-Cola were dietitians. Oh, oh my and, gosh! And there were a whole group of medical organizations: the American Academy of Pediatrics, the American Academy of Family Practice, and the Dietetic Association. But many, many more. And um, you know, Marion, I know in your book you said if a child drinks one soda a day. It increases their risk of obesity, well, being overweight and obesity as an adult. And the, and the pediatric association was being funded. That's right. That's right. Oh, and there was a lot of internal dissent about that. And there were many members of the society who complained. This is also true in the dietetic society, where there's actually a group called Dietitians for Professional Integrity that is, uh, that is composed of dietitians who oppose these kinds of affiliations with food companies that are making junk foods of one kind or another. Um, so there's a lot of dissent going on, and I, I think that's good, and that needs a lot of support. Um, and some of these organizations have pulled out um, of, of their relationship with Coca-Cola, and it's in a big turmoil right now. Amazing. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. I mean, it's and it should be brought to our attention that that's happening. So many and, people don't know that. No, they don't. And I think anyone that is really interested in some of the political or how 
how um, Coke and Pepsi have marketed and entwine themselves. Yeah, maybe even talk a little bit about that, Marion. Is their their marketing plan? How do how their do tactics. they market? How do they tack all this? All the people in the world. Well, there's advertising. That's the obvious way. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's all the behind-the-scenes stuff. There's lobbying government to make sure that governments don't pass regulations or perish the thought taxes. Um, you know, there are a lot of tax initiatives that are being voted on mm-hmm. next yes. week, and um, I, it'll be interesting to see how they do. And the soda industry has poured millions of dollars, a um, hundred million dollars. Since 2009 to fight soda taxes. Wow. Wow. You know, um, but that's only part of the way. Um, Then they fund organizations. They fund individuals. um, They fund lots and lots and lots of community groups who depend on them for uh, the money that they use to do the work that they're doing. I mean, they work just like the cigarette companies used to. Mm-hmm. And in I know exactly the same way. I know in one in one of the um, in your book you said that one of the cities that did start taxing, I think they had like a twenty two percent decrease in sales. Yeah, that's Berkeley. It's the only one that's passed so far, and they've been studying what's been going on there very very closely, and they found that sales are down, but they are particularly down among low-income minority groups who are at highest risk for type 2 diabetes. Oh, really? So That's tax, really interesting, isn't so it? the tax is doing exactly what it was supposed to do. Right. So we should pass that tax all in every state and every city. Go out and vote next week and do that, people. <laughs> <laughs> vote for those taxes. Right. right. Well, as long and the other thing that Berkeley is doing is it's using the tax revenues in exactly the way that it had promised to, which was for child health purposes. Okay, that sounds great. Yes. So, you know, we've only got maybe one minute. What do we got left? Yeah, about that. Do you you have any parting wisdom, Marianne, that you'd like to share? Yeah, I mean, the easiest way to deal with problems of sugary beverages is not to drink them very often. Yes, I agree. You know, when I was growing up, we had, you know, if we had one a week or one a month, that was considered plenty. Um, But the idea that you would use sugary drinks to substitute for water just doesn't make any sense sense at all no it doesn't no it doesn't so and you know it's like uh i know that one of the addiction specialists in our city one of the things that she always says is she believes that mountain dew is a gateway drug to alcohol and other drugs which is kind of interesting and um you know just a different way of looking at things that's right so you know be sure to tune in next week to hear nutritional weight and wellness you know we have a great client, Tina Beeler. She's going to share how her eating plan helped her overcome MS. And it's really an amazing story about the power of real food. It's amazing. It is. Her story is fantastic. And our goal at Nutritional Weight and Wellness is to help each and every person experience better health through eating real food. It's simple, yet it's a really powerful message. Eating real food is life-changing. And thanks for listening today. Have a wonderful day. It's a beautiful uh, day out there. And Marianne, thank you so much for being on Dishing Up Nutrition. My pleasure. Yes, thank you so much. So that was fantastic to have Dr. Marianne Nessel on today. Um, She just gave some really good information. I hope everybody walks away with, uh, um, you know, 
The whole the challenge idea. this the week challenge. that we gave them, right? No yes. soda this week, maybe no next soda. week. No soda this week. And, and you know, it, it is possible. And if it's an addiction, we certainly can help with that. So for sure. thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. All right. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to Dishing Up Nutrition. If you enjoy this podcast, please share your favorite episodes with a friend or leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or iHeartRadio. The content and opinions expressed are those of the hosts or presenters. They are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Product statements have not been evaluated by the FDA.